Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the birthday month of the podcast. I'm Darren Potts, your host, as always. Last week, we kicked things off with James Gallagher, um, Bellator fighter. He is currently in Las Vegas, enjoying the sun and the partying, getting ready for the Conor McGregor fight. So good luck to him and enjoy the show. But this week, it is Colin Coates here on the podcast. Colin is a Crusaders club legend, former captain of the club, the most successful captain in Crusaders club history says a lot. He has won everything there is to win with Crusaders Football Club. We get into those moments on the podcast today. Give me a follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at the podcast. That way you won't miss any of the upcoming content. Up next week, Michael Ruddy and following that, Paul Heatley. So make sure you look out for those ones. But without further ado, let's get to Colin Coates. Five, four, three, two. So welcome ladies and gentlemen to the podcast. It is July on the podcast. It is one year since the podcast started and I've tried to get some of the best guests that I could get this year this year for this month. And I've left Colin Coates out for a long period of time, but today I've got him because it's the one year month and I wanted to go big with probably the best captain and the most successful captain in Crusaders Club history. But without further ado, Colin Coates, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Darren. That was a, a nice intro there as well for me. Um, but yeah, it's great to be here and, and get chatting to you. I listened to a lot of your, your podcasts over the last year and stuff like, so it's, it's great to be to be on, on the show. Delighted to have you here. And I've had a message from the missus. I'm not allowed to keep you long. You have hoovering to do, you have vacuuming to do and housework to do, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, there's always, there's always plenty to do around the house and uh, to make sure I, I, I do my first sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Mate. We'll get right into it because I want to talk about coming through Crusaders. And when you were coming through, there was obviously Stephen McBride and Chris Morrow and yourself. And you ended up making your debuts under Alan Dornan. What was that like for you as a young player? Was that pathway to the first team always there? Yeah, I think back then it had to be, you know. You know, the team and the club back then was a completely different, like it's, it's a, a pale shadow of what it is now. You know, um, I remember I joined Crusaders under 16s um, and went over and we had to do like a trial, pre-season trial. And that's when I first met Chris Morrow. He was on the same trial and we both made the team. And, you know, we played there for a year and then a year later we made our debuts on the same night for the for the first team. It was a, at a County Under Shield game at home, the chimney corner, and we ended up losing on penalties. And, you know, I think we threw the game one each and, and uh, we lost on penalties, and that was like a that's probably a reflection like of where the club was. You know, to lose, you couldn't imagine the club losing a, a county Antrim shield tie now to a team like you know Chimney Corner just wouldn't happen. So, yeah, it was it was very different times, but for for us it was brilliant because it gave us an opportunity, you know, as, as young players to go in and and play in the in the in the first team and and get senior football. I think from there I sort of maybe played the next five or six games and. You know, and then was in now the team, so it was it was brilliant, like you know, to to get that opportunity to to play that you know it might not be available at the club, you know, you know, in in the modern era, if you like nowadays with the the competitiveness of the squad and, and where the, the club and team is now. But it was brilliant, like it was a, it was a, a great opportunity, and you know, it was I was thankful from for Alan Dornan, you know, to, to give me that opportunity, and you know, things obviously didn't go well for Alan as a manager, but personally speaking, you know, he gave me my opportunity, and you know, I suppose I'll always be grateful for that. I think it's a big thing, isn't it? Just getting that opportunity as a young player, working your backside off to get into the first team and to see that opportunity just being presented or having that opportunity, knowing that it's there. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, you're playing under 16 football and you're kind of, you're excelling. Like it's, and it's almost, it's almost too easy, you know, and then you're playing there week in, week out. And it's, 
it's quite comfortable. And then you go and play the under-18s football and you think, you, you know, right, this will be more of a challenge. But it's sort of, it's quite similar, you know, it was, it wasn't, it probably wasn't a challenge enough for the likes of myself and Chris Morrow and, you know, maybe one or two others and we're quickly on the reserve team. And then, you know, I remember one of the reserve, first reserve games I played, David, we played ours and Davey Rainey was playing for, for ours at the time. And he must have been coming back from an injury or something or, you know, knowing Davey had probably fallen out with a manager, but he was being, he'd been sent to play for the reserves. And, <laughs> and uh, I was playing, playing against him. And I remember, night, he, I remember him scoring that night and, and running away from me. But in general, in the game, you know, I remember feeling comfortable and going, Flip, I can, I played against Davey Rainey. You know, I can, I have, I have an opportunity here if I do well to play in the first team. And then that was, you know, sort of how it happened. And, you know, like I say, for the next year then, I was probably in the team and, you know, still trying to find your way. And the team is struggling, you know, the bottom of the league. And it's difficult with young players as well in that scenario. So, but no, it, it's all about getting that opportunity. And, you know, football's like any sport, you know, people talk about in boxing, levels. You know, it's all about levels. And it's being able to go to that next level and hold your own and still put in the performances that you put in in that slightly lesser level, if you like. And, you know, thankfully, I was able to, to do it, you know, up until first team level. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? You know, when a young player comes in and is able to sort of establish themselves. But when you're in and out of the team, as you said, you were at that time. Is there ever any feeling maybe this isn't for me or I just need to run a games? Uh, I think so. I think it's a, it was quite frustrating as a young player. You know, when I went in, I was, I was a left back then. So I, I would have been a, a left back rather than a centre half. And Steve, Mc, Steve McBride had the same position. So I initially got into the team probably before. I think I got into the team before him. Um, but then at the time, Alan Dornan was playing a 3-5-2. So when I first went in the team, it was a back four. And then he changed to a three at the back and then with two wing backs. And, you know, Stiggy was Stiggy was more adept at that than me, you know, playing that left wing back position. And he got in the team and he played then, you know, most of the rest of the season. And and I didn't really get a look in, you know, from that point of view. Whereas I think looking back on it now, I hadn't got my position at that stage. You know, I was playing left back, but, you know, as it turned out, it was a centre half was my, was my position. So, you know, while left back back then, I was able to play it. It was really a matter of just maturing and growing up into being a centre half, which is what obviously what I ended up being. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating because when you're younger as well, you don't see the bigger picture. You only see what's in front of you in that moment, you know, and you can't, you know, it's easy looking back as a 30-something-year-old, you know, but at the time you you do get frustrated that you're not maybe playing. But at the same time, you know, I was still going and playing for the reserves and, and getting games. And, you know, in that first year, probably wasn't as big an issue. And, and I suppose I think towards the end of that season, I ended up getting the injured my cartilage. And I had to, had to get an operation, you know, at the end of the season. So it was kind of out for a few months anyway, waiting on the operation. Um, but, no, it was great because, you know, it was, it was I came through with Chris Morrow and then the likes of Stephen McBride and Davy McGowan, you know, stuff, all young lads. So we kind of all wanted each other to do well you know, at that time too. So there was no, you know, there was no, like, you were never upset or throwing the toys out of the prom. I think one of the interesting ones was after Al Dornan left, Stephen Baxter came in and obviously club got relegated. And I really want to touch on that following season, the championship, because it was really laying the foundations. And I'm always conscious, perhaps for someone like yourself and Chris Morrow, did that season where winning the championship and winning the trophies down there, did that establish a, this is what I want. I want to win trophies every year. Yeah, I think so. You know, people people say, you know, now oh, you've, you've won three league titles and in my head, I'm sort of going, no, I've won four because I won that championship. And and in some ways, when you look back at that championship, one is probably more important than any of the other, you know, three league titles that we won in the, in the Premiership because that year was, while it was enjoyable, you know, we got to go away to all these different grounds we'd never maybe played at. And, 
we were winning games which from a young player was great because you were building up that sort of winning mentality and getting used to winning games because it's it's habit you know you're, you get used to winning you get used used to losing and unfortunately obviously getting relegated we'd, we'd been used to losing so it gave us that opportunity to go and learn and, and improve our games and, and the wee mistakes that you maybe made you know in the premiership that were being punished they maybe didn't get punished the same you know when you're in that league below so it gave you that opportunity to, to learn from them and you know probably when we, we did get over the line that year and win, win the league in the first division it was it was more relief because of, if we hadn't got up that year then the club was probably going to end up just stuck in that league you know because it was a difficult league and I think the club kind of backed Stephen at the time that you know financially to be able to bring in David Rainey and, and keep you know some of the players that were there you know like said Jeff Spears and Davey Munster and Stevie Livingstone sort of those experienced players and you know, if we hadn't have got up that year, it would have been a different story. With the likes of, you know, Jeff maybe would have stopped playing, and one or two other ones maybe would have moved on. And you know, so it was vitally important we got up that year, and it's probably the most important league that I've I've won, you know, with Crusaders. Yeah, I think you're right because you could even look at it from if we look at Portadown, for example. You know, being in, down there for three years and the size of a club that Portadown is, you know, it's very easy to go down and get stuck. And I think you're right. You know, about backing the players and stuff like that. What was it like playing with Jeff Spears? You know, especially as a young player coming through. Yeah, it was good. You know, he obviously he was uh he was that sort of take tough centre half where he went and headed things. He was very, very strong. And you know, I always would have kept him going that I probably being young and playing beside him, I give him another two or three years in his career by doing all his running for him. But no, he was good. Like he was he, he never he never shouted or anything at you or you know, when he spoke you listened and you know, it was an opportunity for me to learn and you know, right through my career, I always, I was lucky right up to the age of probably nearly 30. I always got to play with people who had been around for years and, you know, experienced. You know, once Jeff was gone, you know, I always had the likes of Gary Smith played and Paul Lehman and, you know, these boys who had been around for a long time and, and were able to learn off them and, and pick things up from p- people who had played at the very, very top of Irish League football. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have a section later on we're going to come to with some of your partners as well. And, you know, I have all three of those guys down and some of the sort of the younger lads, you know, like Josh coming through and Howard and Davey Mags as well. You know, you had a phenomenal relationship with quite a number of players, you know, throughout your career. Yeah, I did. I played with quite a lot of different partners and, you know, it was always comfortable playing with whoever, you know, it was always, because like you said, they were all very good players, the ones you've named there. And, you know, it was always quite easy for me to be able to play alongside them and probably, a big benefit that I had was I was always left-sided. You know, I was a left-footed centre-half. They're, they're, they're few and far between. There's not too many of them about. So it was always quite comfortable for me to play on the left-hand side. And then whoever it was who played with me, you know, played on the right-hand side. And it was quite easy to build up those partnerships because they were good players as well. A big one for you, and I want to touch on this and spend a bit of time on this one, was the 2009 Irish Cup final. You know, the last 30 minutes of that, it felt like it was the Colin Coates final in the sense that you were just clearing everything. You know, nothing was getting through. To, you know, it, it just felt like this, like the Alamo to an extent. Yeah. And it might not have been, you know, looking back, but that's what it felt like, you know, winning 1-0 and leading. Tell me about the memories, not just of that final, but the build-up to it, the semi-finals going through and winning that Irish Cup for the first time. Yeah, it was It was obviously my first major trophy. So it was, it was, it was brilliant, you know, for the whole club. But in the lead-up to it, we, we had quite an easy run to the final. I think that year we played, off the top of my head, we played Bally, Ballamoney, I think, at home in the first round. And then we played uh, Porter Down, who were actually in the championship at the time. I think they would have been relegated because they were late. I remember the time they were late. That was a brilliant game as well. It was like 5-2 or 5-3 or something like that, yeah. 
Yeah, I actually, I don't think I missed that one. I got a broken collarbone at the time, and I missed that game. Um, but then, and then even the semi-final, we played Institute at Balamina, you know, and obviously Institute were in the Premier League at the time, but they were one they were a team that if you're Someone said that you'll play Institute in the semi-final of the Irish Cup. You would, you would have taken it, and you know we won that game quite comfortably. And it was just one of them ones we kind of got a good run to the final. And on the on the flip side of it, Cliftonville, I think they had beat Limfield and Glentorn in the two previous rounds, and you know they had had a bit more of a difficult run. But when the final came round, you know you looked at our team on paper. You know our, we had a good we had a good team then. You know um, obviously big Gareth McCune at right back and Stephen McBride left back, and then myself and Gary Smith played in the final. I think Mags Mags picked up a booking. It's fifth booking of the season for a foul. I remember it was against, uh, I think it was against Glenn Torrent. It was Gary Hamilton he fouled. Um, and it was soft. Like, it was very, very soft. I remember him getting booked and everybody knew at the time. And it's the type of thing that now, see if that's a situation in football now, you don't play. Yeah. You know, people, people he should have just been taken out that day and not played, you know, for the cup final. But it didn't seem to happen. You know, 10 years ago, you just played anyway. And I don't think we really had anything to play for in the league. So it was, a, I think, he, you know, it was obviously devastating for Mags not to play in that final but um, you know the rest of the team we'll have was, was top it was a really really good side and Cliftonville were, were were similar you know they had a good squad as well and Chris Scannell he was the he was the main marksman that year he was flying for, for them and scoring a bucket load of goals and like you said we, we got a goal early in the first half and we were hanging on then it was back to the walls and we had to defend deep and you know put our bodies in the line and go and head things and you know elements of luck too I remember I think it was, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Skinnell in the second half. He, he, he spun and, and had a shot at goal and Chris Keenan got down low to his left to save it. But he, he didn't get enough on it and the ball was trickling towards the line. It was crossing the line. I, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and I cleared it. And When you watch the footage back, one of their players was sliding in to try and block it as I cleared it. And it actually hits the top of his foot and, and, and clears way out, you know, 50 yards up the pitch. And it's really a game of inches. You know, if I, if I had hit that an inch lower, his foot was an inch higher. I'd had hit the middle of his foot and gone into the net and that would look stupid, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like a game of inches. And it just was one of those days for me, personally, where everything just seemed, I just seemed to be in the right place and things hit me and I got on, got my head on things. And yeah, it was just, I think it was an element too. Once you get that one nil lead, it's, you're, you've got that determination to, to get over the line and do what you have to do to, to win the game. And it was certainly one of those days. It was, it was just one of those special ones, you know, like even Mark Dixon, when he scored the goal, you hardly see Mark celebrate a goal. You know, he was sort of quite introverted yeah. and, you know, Mark, you know, he's thrown himself to the ground. He, he really celebrated that one and the fans went wild and, and what a goal it was. And I, I still think to this day, it's probably my favourite, you know, my favourite moment as a supporter was was that day. Yeah, it was a good day because it, because it was Cliftonville, you know, yeah. and because there was so much, like both clubs had been so long since they had, Won the Irish, won the Irish Cup, and you know I think Cliftonville are still waiting. They still haven't won the Irish Cup since then. You know, despite the great teams that they had, had you know, won the back-to-back league titles and stuff, they still couldn't win the Irish Cup. And you know, it was I think I was added to the element. There was a big crowd, and you know, even even in the the subsequent Irish Cup finals that we played in uh, with Crusaders, and obviously lost to Limfield, and then the one we won with Balnamar. I think that day, because it had been so long, and it was the first for a lot of supporters, there was a bigger crowd there and a more the crowd had more anticipation about it. It was more, there was a bit more of like cup final fever around it. I think then we, we quickly got into another two cup finals in quick succession after that. There wasn't the same buzz about the club, you know, before those finals. And then obviously the one against Ball and Mallard and everyone just expected us to win that one. So I think that first one, and you know, against um, Clevenville was a, a big standout moment. And obviously with it came qualification for Europe, which was 
which was huge for the club at, at that point in time. It was massive. And even even that following season, the club went on to do really well. I remember a game, and it might have been September-ish of the following season at Windsor. You'd scored and we won at 1-0. And I remember leaving, oh, lads, we could win the league. You know, and you know, you kind of get carried away. And obviously we didn't go out and win the league, but you were starting to build, you know, put building blocks and stuff in place. And there's a signing we made in the January, and I haven't asked anybody else about him, and I want to ask you about him because it's a very unique signing that we made. They only spent six months at the club. Michael Collins joined the club. What was he like to play with, and what was he like in the changing room? Uh, Mickey was Mickey was great. You know, like he was really dead on fella, quiet. You know, in the changing room, like the bit of crack, like most of the boys. But he he was quiet. But you could see the quality when he played. Like he he was he was class. You know, he didn't have maybe at that stage of his career, he didn't maybe have the the, the pace and the legs or if you like you know in centre midfield it's such a demanding position he didn't maybe have that energy that he maybe had in the, his younger years to get about the pitch but he was so clever you know he used the ball really well and you know he he, he can mix it when he had to as well as everybody knows and yeah he was great fella like I had a lot of time for Mickey you know in his time there and um, he's one of those people it's sort of he's disappeared off the radar from football you don't really ever hear from or or see anything of him but he was um quality player and you know, he he probably could have played at a higher level, and, and you know, in the Irish league, you know, in his younger days, he was that good at football. And when he, he came to us, he, he was like, I'm sure, you know, even Stephen Baxter would say he was no baller. Like, you know, people talk about these players being causing problems and all that sort of stuff. He was a great fella. Like, I always remember it, the Carney Antrim Shield win that year at Windsor. That was a big one for me. I just really enjoyed that match. You know, I think we had a man sent off and came back from a goal down and stuff. I think Billy Joe Burns actually scored for them that day. And yeah. Michael Collins was outstanding in that game. And that was right after Boxing Day or the or the suspensions had come through. And I remember like David Rainey and Beaver and stuff like that. They were all sitting up in the stand. <laughs> that was a brilliant one. What do you remember much about those finals? I know there's been that many, that many matches yeah. and memories over your four years. I actually scored in that final as well. Yeah. Um, I think I think we were losing two one. I think I scored an equaliser from a it was from a long throw. Got my head on it and managed to equalise. And I think it was later on in the game, and then we went on to win an extra time. I think Jordan Owen scored um, the winner in extra time. But I remember Mickey that night as well in the middle of the park, and he just used all his experience and his quality, and he, he was he was brilliant. And you know what was another? It was kind of like at that stage we'd won the Irish Cup, and then it was like looking at these other trophies. You know the County Under Shield, the League Cup. Can you go and get one of them too? And you know, something I always wanted to do when I was playing was get at least one of each of the medals. You know, it was sort of like a, a thing that I had where I wanted to try and get, you know, one of each. And, you know, thankfully I was able to do that. And, you know, that would count down the shield that time. was It was just another sort of stepping stone, you know, if you like, on the on the, the journey along to, to try and get to the top. It really was. And when you look back at Crusaders' history, sort of from those that period, you really see it just kind of year on year slowly building. You know, your players coming in, you know, like your Michael Halliday's and stuff like that. Experienced players coming in and lending a hand as the club continued to build. Gary McCutcheon was another one who came in a couple of years later after Michael. But some of those experienced players that came in, Davey Rainey was one in the championship. Is there any one that maybe stands out to you the most as this was a great signing, a signing that we needed? Yeah, I suppose like when you go back to the end, you've touched on there, Davey Rainey. You know, Davey Rainey was... Davey was unbelievable. Like, you know, he came in the, from the Premier League down to play in the Championship and he just scored a buckle load of goals. You know, he was a difference for us because DC pushed us that year. Donegal Celtic were, were a good team and they pushed us all the way. And Davey was probably a difference for us. You know, he just scored so many goals. And, and then when we came back up to the Premier League, he just kept scoring. He was just, and he was one of those players, as he got older, he seemed to get fitter. 
and hungrier and he was just he was mad he was like Davey Rainey was like an 18 year old in training all the time just ran around like he was 18 just wanted to play football and you know he was he was infectious and the rest of the squad and someone I have a lot of time for and, and partly he was part of a he had been part of a squad that was probably one of my favourite squads they've been part of you know at that time probably around sort of 2009 to 2013 you know probably culminating in the Satanta Cup when that, that squad was just oh, like such a tight squad of players and the characters and the personalities and everybody was mates you know like so Chris Moore was there Davy McGowan Steve McBride players who I'd been with at that stage maybe for 10 years you know playing with and Davy Rainey since you know relegation 2005 so players I had played with for a, a substantial period of time who became good friends you know to achieve what we did that was that was such a good squad and Davy Rainey was for me he was the man like yeah, he certainly was. He's one of, a signed shirt of Davey from one of the cup finals. Um, it's actually a losing um, final that we lost. I managed to get a signed shirt from him, um, which, brilliant memory. David Rainey, legend. Got it about, the obviously, the result but that comes with that, but absolutely agree what a phenomenal player he was. Um, another another season I want to touch on is the 2011-2012 season. Um, started out, I think we had Fulham, early doors. The, there's the big pre-season. The League Cup final, yourself and Leaper, I believe, were the two at centre back for that one. And then obviously yeah. it's the Tampa Cup final. There was the Irish Cup final loss as well the week before. But throw it yeah. back to the League Cup final. You talked about wanting to win a medal, you know, from everything. That League Cup final win, I I thought was quite big for us. You know, Coleraine at the time were starting to build, get a bit of steam about them, you know, a little bit around that period of time. And that League Cup final at Ballymena, you know, Chris Morrow scored early doors, one 0 win. What what was your memories from that game? Yeah, another another great day. And like you said, played with Leaper that day. And I think David McGowan played right back. Um, or else Gareth McLeod, I can't remember. But um, yeah, played with Leaper that day. And you know, always played with. I always enjoyed playing with Leaper. You know, he was one of these a common player. You know, he was uh, obviously experienced and been there and done it all. And one of them people that just seemed to gel with quickly. There was no time. We didn't we didn't need any like games to sort of get to know each other's game. We just seemed to click, you know, straight away as, as a partnership and I enjoyed playing with Big Lieber. But you know that final was was a great day too because I remember it was up at Balamina um and they put stands behind either either goal at the end of the pitch and it, it turned it turned Balamina into a brilliant stadium. You know, the two uh stands at either end of the a goal and you know supporters in them obviously and from from Korean and it was it was a great day and like you say Korean were building so it was kind of like it was kind of like two clubs on a similar path. You know, van for a trophy, and you know it, it was important, probably not just to win the trophy, but in the long term for the next year or two to win that trophy to to kick on for the you know the squad they build that confidence of winning trophies. You know, and it took Korea, and then obviously I don't know if they were back in another final for quite a while after that, and you know they they they, they struggled with that and suffered I think quite badly from that defeat. Um, whereas on the day we were we were very good. We won one nil, but it was more comfortable than that would suggest. I think we were very we were very solid and really didn't give much away. And we probably had one or two other chances to to get another goal or two in the game. And yeah, it was just another one of those. That's and I don't think I haven't played in the League Cup final since that one as well. So um, it was a another medal, one of those ones to chalk off the list. Yeah, it was. Um, I it's always a fond memory of mine. I worked with a fella at the time. He was a huge Coleraine fan, and right up that whole way to that final, he tortured me. We're going to win this. We're going to do this. Going to be three nil, four nil every day. He had a comment, and I said, "Just wait and see." And yeah. it was always one that stuck out for me because he gave me, he just gave me pelters for literally the whole build up to it. it was pain in the backside, like, but it was brilliant. Um, and yeah. that final as well. 
I thought really kicked us on. It was really, I think it was Sean O'Neill and Timmy Adamson's first season with us. And, you know, they added medals to the collection. What did they bring to the squad? Yeah, again, two, two great guys. Like, you know, Sean was a quality goalkeeper. We kind of, we kind of struggled not for a goalkeeper for a few years, I think, you know, with Chris Keenan. And, you know, at times Chris Keenan was, was a good, good, you know, very good goalkeeper. But at times, I don't know if he was, that commitment maybe was there from him to be able to commit to football. He just seemed to have other things going on in his life. And, you know, he maybe didn't have that level of dedication that he needed to play, you know, at, at that level. And we sort of struggled for a year or two with goalkeepers and brought, obviously, Sean O'Neill came in and was, was fantastic for us, you know, straight away. And, you know, a character in the changing room as well. And he fitted straight into, you know, Crusaders and the, the changing room that we had already there, you know, he fitted in that straight away. And, you know, everybody enjoyed having them there. And, you know, he, he obviously enjoys being there. So quality goalkeeper, good fella, just, you know, right attitude. And he came, when he came, he wanted to win as well. You know, he didn't want to, he came from Dunganham where he could have easily stayed and played away there. But he came to Crusaders to try and win things. And, you know, he had that mentality that, that fitted into the change room and helped us push on in a position that we, we were not lacking, but could have done with improvement. And he certainly, he gave us that. And, and Big Timmy, Big Timmy was brilliant. Like, Timmy was just a, a big gentleman, like, of a fella, you know, a great guy and about the changing room. And he was, a, he was a player who played anywhere as well. You know, he was a striker when he came in and he scored a lot of goals at, you know, Dungannon and when he was at Limfield. And he came in and played for us because we had Jordan Owens sort of playing up front and there were maybe slightly similar players. He, he, played, he played off the left quite a bit, almost like an old-fashioned inside left. You know, not a left winger. Not a not a centre forward, but just then off that left hand side. And he was he was always an out ball for us as well. You know, even if it wasn't happening for Big Jordan Owens, we could have headed towards Big Timmy and Big Timmy was able to hold it up or win flick ons, win headers and give us a real presence and probably underrated as a footballer as well. And you know, he's he's plenty of memories to look back on, you know, scoring against Fulham and you know, all the the, the trophies that we won, obviously together Crusaders as well. Yeah, I think so. I think he's almost one of those sort of forgotten men sometimes, you know, in and amongst, you know, some of those brilliant teams and brilliant squads over the years. And before we get to the Satanta Cup final, there was the Irish Cup final. And obviously it was a horrible day for us as, as, a, as a club and as a team. I'm curious, was there eyes on the Satanta? Because we, that Satanta run was incredible, you know, from the extra time winning the semi-final and everything and getting to that final for the first time and whatnot. Was there any maybe not looking past Irish Cup final, don't mean it that way, but was was the Satanta Cup a bigger priority, so to speak, or or was it just game by game? Yeah, I think I think obviously ideally you were going out to try and win both. You know, that was obviously the aim. Suppose subconsciously when you go into a final, knowing you have another final the week after, you know, it can be difficult. You know, even look at Chelsea this year going into the FA Cup final, knowing, you know, with the Champions League final around the corner, they faltered in the in the first game, you know, and I think if you ask any of the players who played that time and any of the supporters and anybody involved at the club, if you had to pick one of them to win, you would always have picked the Satanta Cup. You know, it was just it was such a big a big deal to, to try and win that trophy. And, you know, obviously it put a bit more pressure on us getting that final though, because we'd lost so heavily the week before against Limfield. And um, but in the same in the same way, that team that we had back then when we did lose games and we did lose games back then, you know. We weren't a finished article by any means, but when we did lose, we always bounced back. You know, we always had that sort of ability to, to come back stronger from a defeat. And, you know, probably in some ways, a 4-1 hammer by Linfield probably did his the world of good going into the, the Satanta the week after. You know, probably, I think Derry had already beat Linfield that year in the Satanta somewhere along the line quite convincingly. So 
there might have been an element of Derry thinking in the final thing and we've hammered Limfield, Limfield have hammered this lot, we will, we should win this easily enough and you know we're on the flip side of us, we were going to that sort of underdog mentality which I always felt was what was when Crusaders were at their best. I, I agree with you 100%. I think whenever Crusaders sort of backs to the wall, aren't expected to do much, are the underdogs, they just seem to rise up and that we've seen that over the years and that final specifically always sticks out for me because Rory Patterson maybe had two chances the whole match. He managed to score one and then he got a penalty. Yeah. And I felt that was the, I remember watching this game being, are we going to lose this game? You know, purely because we were dominating the game, but they got that, they got that, you know, Rory Patterson got that goal. It's like, no way. What? Well, come on, you're killing me. Yeah. But from your perspective, probably one of your favorite games, two goals. The, the the bring the bring it back towards you know, swinging towards our end. What's your memories of that that final? Because that's a massive one. Yeah, it's it was it was a brilliant day, and you know, like you said, we we dominated that game. You know, for the first eighty minutes, we were well on top, and we just we just never got the ball over the line. It was one of, you know I remember Chris Morrow hitting the post early on with a free kick, and David Rainey had a couple of chances, and we just. We just looked dangerous all day. I remember Daggy Goodell that day making runs from midfield all day beyond their back four, and you know they they couldn't cope with it. And but we just couldn't find that goal. And you know you're sitting in the 80th minute, and you can see the goal, and you're in a cup final, your your head's dropped. But I suppose like in all the games I've played, no matter what, when you're losing, you have to have a go. You know you have to go and try and get a goal. And we did, and we just, we just sort of went direct, and we're putting the ball on ball in the box, trying just for something to fall for us. And, I remember we got a free kick wide on the right and it was swung in and I, I couldn't believe in my eyes because just when it came in, I knew it got the run on the marker and I knew it was going to win the header um, and I jumped and I didn't even know at the time that Jared Doherty had been taken out or what had happened to Jared Doherty. He was on the ground and I just headed it and I went in, and it, you know, went in the net and I ran off and I still didn't know that he was on the ground. I just headed it and seen the ball go in the net and just ran off and celebrating and you know, and then when you watch it back, you see Davy Rainey's you know, being as cute as he always was, um, making sure he was in Jared Doherty's way when he was coming out. And yeah, it was just incredible then to, to get that goal to get us in the extra time because that's what we, we deserved at least that, you know, on our, on our performance on the day. And then straight after that, we went up, kick off, whatever happened from kickoff, we got the ball back. And I remember another, it was another run from Daggy Dale and beyond and the ball was played into him and he, he tried to play it across the, he played it across Davy Rainey and he had a great chance to win the game for us in the space of a minute and he just hit it wide and, it was just one of those days where we created so many chances but just didn't take them. And, you know, thankfully we, we managed to get a couple of goals at the right time. And, you know, Stevie McBride getting sent off as well in the last minute of, of normal time. And we just didn't make it easy for ourselves on the day, but we certainly deserved the win. Absolutely. The, when the red card came, it was on no, on no, here we go. But the, the boys dug in and, and to, to a player, every single one was, was sensational. And the penalty shootout as well, you know. I think it was Skimmer, if I remember, works serves me rightly. Yeah. Scored the winner. I know for such a young player to go up and hit a penalty too. You know the nerves must have been there, but the relief at the end, at the end. You know, even talking to Paul Lehman on the podcast, it's one of the, his, you know, fondest memories of his entire career, which I think says yeah. a lot about you know winning the Satanta Cup. Yeah, the way the way I look at it too, you know, there's there's only two teams that have ever won the Satanta Cup from Northern Ireland, Limfield and, and uh, Crusaders. So you're you're talking that. Within Northern Ireland football, there's only about 35 players actually have a Satanta Cup medal. You know, the amount of people that have a medal for that in their house, there's, there's very, very few of them. And they're they're so difficult to win, you know, like two-legged ties. If, if it were straight knockouts, 
you know, when you're getting decent draws, maybe getting a home draw, you could see, right, we could get ourselves a final. But when you have to play against teams across two legs, that normally takes out any freak result. You know, if you, if you, we, I remember beating Sligo in the first leg at home 2 0, where they kind of underestimated us, I felt. And then we went down there and we managed to get through on, you know, in extra time as well. They, like, they were a quality team, you know, and we, we matched them across the two legs. There was no, there was no doubt about it. And, you know, that the, but the togetherness in that squad that we had and the fight for each other was was unbelievable. And I remember Stuart e. Dallas in both games, the final and that's a semi-final in Sligo, just ran himself into the ground. Like just, you know, Sturdy when he played in the league games was was a quality footballer, you know, got on the ball and had energy, but in no standing games, he was just a, a complete grafter. Like he had because we didn't have a lot of the ball. And he just worked the socks off. And you're just like I remember that's particularly the Sligo game where he could hardly walk by the end of extra time because he'd worked so hard. And, and that's what that's what won us those trophies, you know, and the Satanic Cup in particular was just that effort and the togetherness of the squad. See, in that semi final against Sligo, when you had the penalty, do you get nerves? Were you nervous? Yeah, I think you do get nervous. Um, you know, anxiety kicks in that you know you might you might miss it. At that time, I'd been hitting penalties and I'd scored quite a few in a row, so you, you become then you think, here, I can't miss. You know, my problem came when I missed the first penalty. Once you miss a penalty, saying the next one after that, you, you you do get more nervous. You go for by miss, but um, no, I just like even the the final the penalty shoot I had first for us, there was never any there was wasn't nervous at all. Now I remember I remember the penalty shootout because the goalkeeper so Sean O'Neill is supposed to go and stand beside the linesman. You Knowing he stands along the line, he's supposed to go and stand that side. So Rory Patterson hit for them first, scored, and that was grand. Sean O'Neill went to the other side, away from the linesman. So I went up to take in that place the ball. And I remember Jared Dockery scuffing up the penalty spot and all this, you know, trying to put me off or whatever. And I put the ball in the spot and I went back to my place where we're going to run up, you know, to hit the penalty. And I looked up and Raymond Crangle shouting over at Sean O'Neill, who's on the, other, the wrong side of the net, telling him he needs to get over to the other side before I can hit it. So I had to stand for about, well, it felt like about five minutes, but it was probably about 20, 30 seconds while Sean ambled across behind the net and going stand on the right side. So I remember, I remember that going, I remember being annoyed. I remember thinking to myself, Sean, I'm trying to have a penalty in your arm on a crosser. But no, it was, it's all like it was, hitting penalties was at the time was great, you know, for me, you know, had no problem. But, um, you know, you look at like Skimmer's penalty that day, Sturdy Dallas's last kick for the club, uh, and that penalty shootout. And, you know, Beavers, I remember Beavers, you know, scuffed it along the ground. And I don't know how it ended up in the net. I think it bounced up over Jared Dockery and in, but just great memories. And, um, probably one like you said it was it's up there for me as a as a highlight of my career it has to be it's up there for me just as a highlight as a supporter just to be watching that and to be celebrating winning that no never mind playing in it um but from yourself as well you've mentioned Sturdy Dallas and playing alongside Sturdy you know you'd Sturdy Dallas you know you'd played with Gavin White Paul Heatley um there's been a huge number of players Chris Morrow one of my favorite Crusaders players ever you know what were some of those lads like to play with on a weekly basis and to train with yeah, they were they were brilliant. You know, obviously, Stuart Dallas is what he's went on to achieve with his career in, in England. You know, to be playing the Premier League, and for me, probably this year was one of the standout centre midfielders in the, in the Premier League. You know, it was amazing where he's went from you know Coke United to where he is now. Incredible, um, brilliant guy. You know, his dad used to come to a lot of the games too. Great fella, just really down to earth guy, and deserves all the you know, everything he's got from his career, you know, what he's done, the, the, the work that he put in and the work that you can see he's put in, you know, just his body, you know, physically fitter he is now, even when he played in the Irish League, he's just incredible. And Gavin White, another one, just 
what a player like Gavin White was just sensational um, when he burst on the scene and some of the stuff he, like, other like fullbacks just couldn't live with him he was just incredible and he took us he took us to another level you know just with his the way he played particularly the third league title that season where they obviously got his move after it. he was just unbelievable um, and we probably wouldn't have won the league that year without him um, and then Chris Morrow Chris Morrow is probably a player that if you mixed if you mixed Chris Morrow's ability with Dagnick Dale's running ability you have a, a Premier League footballer you know just <laughs> Like Chris Morrow with the ball was was so good, so good to watch. I'm sure as a supporter, you know the yeah. way he got on the ball and he could play, and his first touch always took him away from trouble, and he could find a pass. And you know he was strong in the air as well, and, and scored a lot of goals. And a good mate of mine, like you know, had a, played together from we were 16, and sort of went through it all up until he left. And yeah, a, another great guy. And you know, probably a shame the way it ended for him. You know, with the, the injury that he got. You know, I remember against Limfield, it was actually Ross Clark. He he fouled Ross Clark, and whatever he way he tackled him he, he damaged his ankle and never really recovered from it and which was a shame you know for him obviously and, and for the club because a great player and 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 loves crusaders yeah absolutely i think really when you've seen that season i think it was 2011 2012 that season where he won all the awards and sort of 20 odd league goals or whatever i think that was really one of the only seasons that will really got him match fit throughout the whole year and you really seen what he could do yeah you know he was always he was he could run like he had the 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 fitness to get up and down the pitch and you know he was he was all over the place when he was on it but I suppose like when you look at it he was never probably like a natural athlete you know he wasn't he had to he had to work hard to be fit you know he had to do his training and train hard and you know like you said and he picked up some injuries which which sort of hampered him but in terms of like football ability there's not too many I can think of that I've played with that would be on the same level as him you know with what he could do with the ball and you know he. He always just pulled it out of the sky. He wanted to play and he wanted to get it down and, and pass it around. And yeah, he was he was a fantastic player. And um, again, just a shame that he probably didn't play longer. But you know, he, I'm, I'm I'm glad that while he, he injured himself quite early on, I was glad that he was out of the season that we won the first league title. You know, and he was part of that. And you know, he, he was he played the first whatever amount of games it was, and before he got his injury. So yeah, I, I was I was pleased for him. Absolutely. And I think that first league title win is such a special season because it had been, you know, so long since the club had won a league title. Um, going into that season, Billy Joe Burns, Dermot O'Carroll had signed in the January, Stephen O'Flynn, Barry Malloy came in. Was that the, was the plan always pre-season? We're winning the league this year. We were getting closer and challenging Cliftonville, you know, the two previous years. Was the goal like this? It's, it's our turn this year. Yeah, I think so. I think at the start of every season, that's your kind of goal is to finish up as, as high up the league as you can. And it's difficult like to say from the start of the season, right, we're going to win the league this year because there's so many variables, there's so many things can go wrong, you know, in a, in a league season, if you like. You know, you can pick up one or two injuries to key players, which can really derail you, you know. Um, and we got, not got lucky, but Gavin White, that was his breakthrough year. You know, he just came out of nowhere. I remember the first game of the season, I might have been suspended for it, I think, you know, from a carryover from the season before. And I remember being away, it was away at Glenavon and Gavin White playing and he played about 70 minutes and he came off and I remember being in the stand with someone and saying to him, he, he's, he's going to be a cracker. Like, you know, he's a quality player and, and it, it turned out that way, you know, um, obviously, and even that first season, he was he was very, very good. And, you know, Billy Joe Burns coming in, Billy Joe Burns was just unbelievable. You know, just a, that, that threat attacking threat that he gave us down that right-hand side, playing with Gavin White as well, getting four and the, the crosses, the, the balls in the box that he used to put in for, 
for Jordan Owens. You could see it happening. You know, he used to get a ball ball forward maybe 10, 15 yards, and he didn't even need to get to the byline. He could whip it in from quite deep to the back stick where Jordan Owens knew it was coming. And the amount of goals we scored like that was just was incredible. And, and he could defend too, Billy Joe. He can go and head it and he can tackle when he needs to and, and you know, sit there when we're under pressure. He can defend. So just a quality player. And, you know, again, another player who just fitted in the, the, what was already there. You know, I think that was always key. People who just came in and just fitted in the exactly what was going on. Didn't try to didn't try to impose what they wanted on the whole change room. They just got into the change room, got involved with what was already there and and loved it. Um and Dermy O'Carroll, exactly the same, obviously proven winner because he had won it two years in a row. And he was just good for us as well at times to be able to give Jordan Owens a break. You know, if Jordan Owens couldn't play, it was like, right, there's Dermot O'Carroll, where you go, no problem. And he got gets you 15, 20 goals. And again, brilliant professional, brilliant fella, and just really good crack around the changing room. Um, and then the two lads you mentioned, Big Flinner and uh, Barry Malloy. Barry Malloy that night when we hammered Porter down was just unbelievable. Uh, we probably didn't see enough of Barry Malloy, but um, even after that night, you know, he was in around the changing room with all the boys and when he was injured and was very much part of the things. He used to drag a few of them lads up the dairy and all for a night out and, um, and whatnot. And Big Flinner, again, just gave you another option off the bench. It was all people who came in the change room and just fitted in. There was nobody, everybody was just fitted into what we were doing and just and just got on with it and, and, and enjoyed it. I think that's key, isn't it? And, and when you look at how the how the season ended, you know, we we'll have to talk about Paul Heatley and we we'll have to talk about getting married and ported down um, and having <laughs> almost delaying, you know, potentially delaying it. I mean, it's a bit disrespectful to ported down saying if Heatley was playing, we would have won that game. But, you know, we lost that game and then went up and won the league at Solitude and indirectly, I I, I love it. You know, it would have been nice to win yeah. it at Porta Down, but winning it at Solitude was just a little bit sweeter. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, obviously um, all the fans would have obviously enjoyed it being at um, Clevenville, but I remember that Porta Down game because I was actually suspended for that game as well. So I was suspended for that game and the Clevenville game, so I didn't play at Solitude. I, I had got 10 yellow cards as... <laughs> Or usual for that stage this season and had a two-game ban. But yeah, I think we just had the we had the bit between the teeth that season, you know, and we got ourselves in a good position and the momentum was just carrying us. And you know, port ported down away to Shamrock Park has always been a tough venue for us to go. We never seemed to get get it easy down there. And you know, you could sort of with Paul Heatley being missing and everybody going, Oh, what are we gonna do? Because Heats was just Heats at that stage too, like was just on top of his game, you know, lightning, lightning quick, just rapid, um, and scoring ridiculous goals you know he used to hit things from everywhere and they used to you know more times than not the flu into the top corners and then the back of the net and he was just incredible incredible player um so yeah again the first season we just had that momentum and the will to win just to get over the line and you know it was one of those ones you do get nervy when it's down to maybe five points and there's a three games to go and you're kind of going oh we we're going to blow this we're going to blow this but you know great relief when you get over the line and certainly getting over the line at, at Solitude was special. And I always remember the game. I can't even remember now if it was before or after Solitude. I think it might have been just before. one seven down at Mournview. And Gavin White scored a hat-trick yeah. and Heatley scored. And we don't do well at Mournview, as you well know. We know now being yeah. on the other side of that. You yeah. know, um, to go down and win seven at Mournview, I, always, I thought that was a bit of a, a big standout result that year as well. Yeah, it was. You know, like you said, you always go to play... Whenever when I was a crusader and we went to play Glenavon, it was like it always felt like a game of basketball. You know, the ball was going from one end to the other, and just it was a defender's nightmare because you'd never felt like you had any control of the game. And that game, like we scored seven, but seven three that match finished. I think right, I think yeah. we conceded three two. It was just it was just mayhem. Um, 
And uh, but on that day, we had Gavin White on fire and Heatley and Jordan Owens just on fire. And when they played the way they did back then, you know, in those seasons, they were just couldn't couldn't live with them. Like you know, they were just too good. And Heatley's just lightning pace, Jordan Owens' physicality, and and just the all round game of Gavin White. You know, he had everything, and it was just the amount of goals that those three scored between them. The figures like that you wouldn't even you want to look at the goals and assists between them must be incredible across those you know three league titles and. You know, they were a big part of what of obviously of what we achieved. They were absolutely huge. And it's not often I would speak to someone, you know, who didn't play for Crusaders from an Irish League perspective, but through Craig McLean, I ended up speaking to David Albert for a little bit and I asked him about playing against those Crusaders teams. And he said it, it just was a nightmare. He said, because if he had a good game against Jordan Owens, he might win 50% of the balls in the air, and that's him having a good game. And he said, and if you then you've Paul Heatley, then you've Gavin White, then you've Cadell running from deep, and then there's a corner, and then you've DeMar Collin Coates. He said the threats from everywhere, 90 minutes, and it was just a nightmare to play against. And I think that's a, a really good compliment of how good that team was. Yeah, and he, he's 100% right. It was, it was just a different style of threats. You know, you, you can go and play against teams where you know it's going to be a physical battle, and you can go and win, you can go and play against that. But when you're playing against teams that have so many different variables in their attack you know when you've like you said the pace of Heatley and the trickery as well and, and just the audaciousness to try things you know that come off for him you know shots volleys from 20-25 yards flying in the top corners the, the genuine quality of Gavin White when the two of them drifted as well they didn't stay in their positions they would have drifted and at times Heatley was more dangerous when he drifted off the left and played in the middle and and then Jordan Owens, just like at times, and the ball's being played in the box, you know when he's behind you, you can't win it. You know, you're just trying to do your best to put him off. And yeah, it must have been a nightmare for, for those boys to play against. And, you know, we we knew, like the boys at the back, we just got to be solid, not give anything away, and give them a platform, you know, to go and do what they need to do to score the goals. And, you know, and, and a workforce for those, for those three or four years. The next year, I think, is key. And, you know, we, we everyone gets applauded in terms of the attacking sense. You know, the Gavin White and Paul Heatley and Jordan Owens and, and credit to them because they hit double figures every year for a number of years running. But that second season of retaining that league title, I think it was, was it um, 18 goals conceded the entire season. That back four was phenomenal, I thought, especially in that second season, you know, that second league title win. And when Linfield really put the foot down and really tried the challenge, and I thought the back four that year, and Sean as well, so if I say the back five, were just exceptional and really just rose up to the challenge. The first year, we just kind of got swept away with just being in great form and just going through, like, blasting teams out of the way. And then that second year was was probably more of a grind, with probably more, like, 1-0 wins in there. And, you know, we didn't maybe score quite as many goals that year. But like you said, the, the amount of clean sheets we had, it was it was 20-something clean sheets we had in that season. And, you know, it was the, the back four was mainly Craig McLean, me, Josh, and... Uh, Billy Joe and it was ro- just rock solid you know it was Craig McLean was as steady as as you can be like as a footballer you know he, every week like you know for me playing as left side centre half that relationship I had with Craig as a player was important you know obviously like the left side of the fence if you like and I just knew every week what I was going to get from Craig you know I didn't I never worked, turned up thinking Craig might have a bad game today you know it just didn't happen you just knew he was going to be solid Um, he would win his headers and he would go and join in when he had to join in and he would just mark his man and he would defend the back post well. He would cover you when you needed cover. It was just it was just easy, you know, playing with Craig and, and the same with Big Josh. When he came in, once we once we got Josh to listen, once 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 we didn't have to listen to Josh and Josh listened to the likes of me and Billy Joe and Craig, 
grand and great big player, you know, that year that year for us, he was fantastic and enjoyed playing with Josh and, you know, Billy Joe was Billy Joe. Everybody knows how good he is and we were just rock solid, you know, and but then we just had to be, that's all we had to do. You know, we we'd already won the league and we knew, right, we just need to be rock solid. When we get the ball, we can play it, give it to those boys, go and give it to the midfielders, give it to the Heats, give it to Gavin and let them go and do their thing. And Billy Joe used to join in probably more than Craig would have. So it worked out quite nicely. You know, when Billy Joe rated four, we just shifted across. You know, Josh would have shifted into that right side and I sort of in the middle and Craig would have joined him almost into a back three, you know, and it was, again, pretty comfortable. So it all just fitted and fitted really well and worked, and worked well together. Yeah, I think I think Josh that season sort of came into his own, really. You know, he really sort of established himself and then obviously he got the move at the end of the season. Um, what happened in the next season, I think, is always an interesting one because when we look at that season, we talk about how little we conceded and the consistency of the back four. You know, I think when I looked it up, you, I think it was only about four games that that same back four didn't play in that yeah. second season. And then that third season, Howard Beveren came in and credit to Howard, he came in, he done exceptionally well. He won our player of the year and whatnot that year. Um, you had quite a lot of injuries that year and it seemed like Howard's partner was changing every week. You know, sometimes it yeah. was Michael Gold, sometimes it was Alan Keane, sometimes you were fit, sometimes it was Billy Joe Burns. And when I look back at that season, credit to Linfield because they really did challenge and put the foot down whenever we were way clear. But when you look at that, and sometimes you look back and go on the injuries, you know, the, the different changes, the inconsistencies of the back four, maybe due to circumstances outside of our control, is probably the most frustrating um, factor for me that year. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, I, I suffered a really bad injury at home to yards in November of that season. Uh, it was like a like a high ankle sprain and, and then I was out until I think it was like January, February and tried to come back from it and it turned out I couldn't I ended up having to get an operation at, in March so it, if I had maybe got the operation if I had him then and maybe seen this consultants earlier when it first happened and maybe would have been back but we tried to we tried to mend it you know with physiotherapy and that sort of stuff rather than going down that route and it turned out that was the wrong idea, which ruled me out then basically for the whole for the whole season, you know, from November. Um, and I think the big problem was not not that I was injured. It was a problem we didn't have anybody to come in. It was a one year, like when you look through school, we didn't we didn't have a center a center half really to come in and play. I think Davy McGowan had retired the year before. Um, so he wasn't around. Um and I wasn't sure, I'm not sure where Paul Lehman was. He had maybe he had maybe retired as well, had he? Or he yeah. broke his arm or I think so. I can't remember what year Leaper retired. I think it might he have been the year been, previous. He, but I think he, I think he had retired then as well at the same time. So we just didn't have there was there wasn't any cover. There wasn't anybody to come in and play centre half. And like you said, he went and tried to get he brought Alan Keenan, who played for Sligo way back when we played them in Satampton, and he was unbelievable right back. Like he played like a right winger, like he was a bombing all day. But that wasn't the Alan Keenan that came to us at that time. You know, he wasn't whether he just a different player then you know and we tried to play him right back with Billy Joe centre half and it didn't really work and then tried to play Alan Keane at centre half and just all these different like options and none, none of them really worked for us at the time but it wasn't even just that I think it was just the pressure too of Linfield to be fair to them you know they were just had the foot down and we just maybe ran out of steam a wee bit you know we'd, we'd, we'd done it two years in a row and you were going for that third one and it was just it just felt like we were running out of steam you know from about February and you know, in some ways, it was not, obviously, we would have loved to have won that league, but 
it kind of once we didn't and we got away from football at the end of that season it was like right let's get back refocus regroup one or two new players come in we had that cover then the next year in certain positions that maybe we didn't have the year before and have another go at it and go and you know give us that motivation to go and try and win the league again win the league again I thought was was key and we did that you know and I think that's it was a very machine like performance I felt that that following season um you know I, I don't like to even just say maybe we had the right the wrong of the previous season because you'd want to win the league irrespective whether you won it the previous year or not but yeah. that season of, of winning that league and doing it again and how good Gavin was and how good Coleraine were at chasing down and if we even look back at the previous year the pressure of Linfield chasing down maybe maybe hit us a bit but that year the pressure of Coleraine didn't you know the team just kept on winning um that season was that a special one the regain that league title yeah it was because you know once you've won it a couple of times then you and then you fall by the way we did the year before it's easy to fall away you know not, not obviously not being disrespectful Clemville won the league two years in a row and haven't won it since you know when that's team sort of broke up a wee bit and they've been trying to get back there and it's, it's tough like once you fall off it's very, very difficult to, to get back up there. So it was important that year that we went and won the league. And, you know, that was a focus from the start of the season, right? We needed to go and try and win the league again. And um, thankfully, we were able to do that. And it was, I think that was, you know, credit again to Coleraine. They pushed us that year, you know, all, all the way. I think they lost one game all season. I think we lost three, maybe. Um, but they had quite a few more draws in there than us. And, you know, they pushed us the whole way. And it was weird because I remember every, after every game we won, you were coming in. What was the score in Coleraine game? The one. And that went on for weeks. And weeks, you know, both teams were winning. Um, and then it all came to head in a game where we played them post split at Seaview. Yeah. Um, and I gave a penalty away on fouled on Bradley in the box and we went one nil down. And um, you know, thankfully then later on there was a corner. I think we came in and I headed it back across and there's a bit of a scurry in the box and that man David Cushley pops up and scores and an equalizer one each. And you know, I think that night was massive, like because Conrean brought down a huge support that night. The, right, the, yeah. the ground was filled and there were they were really noisy and it was it was a brilliant Irish League game. You know, it was it was what for me Irish League football is about and fantastic atmosphere. And you know, for us to get that draw that night was, was huge just to keep our noses in front. And there was one or two more hurry moments after that. I remember the draw with Cliftonville where Joe Gormley scored from about 35 yards and off the crossbar. And you know, Heats scored for us a great goal to make it one each and so many tight moments in that season. But I think we just like you said, we were a bit of a machine that year and ruthless and just kept just kept going and going and going. And, you know, if it had been another 10 league games, we probably would have just kept going and going and going again. You know, it was just that the way we were. It was, and it was, again, a brilliant team to, to be a part of. And the Balamina game, last game of the season, going to go down, and big Brian Jensen was was in nets that day. Was that nervous whenever the, when the nerves hit when it went to go down that year? Or was the belief, you know, we it's all right, we still have time? Yeah, I, it's funny, because I never really, when that type of thing happens on the pitch, get nervous or worried it's like I get more like right come on let's try and get it back you know that's yeah. that's how I think most players would feel too it's like right let's until the final whistle goes and then you and then you can be whatever the emotions are then um but we had enough chances in that game you know when you when you watch that match back and the highlights and stuff we had plenty of chances in the first half it just wouldn't fall for us it was, it was a really dry bobbly pitch and you know with chances and just didn't take them in the first half and then the goal was a soft goal to give away, I think the ball was played over the top, and Big Brand came running out, and sort of made the up, you know, the, made it easier for the trigger who just lifted him over over him into the empty net. But uh, once we did get level, Brian Jensen made one of the best saves I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah, he did. Like, 
because it was it was kind of my fault. The ball was played. It was a long ball, diagonal ball, and I from a free kick, and I should have went and headed it. And their boy actually got up over me and mom beat me in the air to the, the header. And when it came back, someone headed across, and then can't remember who it was headed it, and it, it was it was behind him, and he just plucked it yeah. out <laughs> and round the post. It was an incredible save. Um, what a goalkeeper like, and what a what a guy he was, you know, for that year. Fantastic around the changing room, just a big gentleman who was just happy to be there playing football. And you know, in the end, or that that last day of the season, he he made a a game winning or a league winning save there, like, and you know, nobody can take that away from. Him. No, absolutely. And I think if you actually, you know, I'm sure if he looks back at his career, I'm sure his league title win with Crusaders is up there with all of his biggest highlights. And he is only sort of time playing in Europe and European competitions with Crusaders as well, which I find it's incredible when you look back and look him up on YouTube and you see him in penalty shootouts against, you know, Chelsea and Drogba and Lampard and all. It's, it's, it's just crazy when yeah. you think about it, but you're right. Like what, what a player, what a player he was. Yeah, he was brilliant. Um, just fitted into the change room too. He used to carry this bag around with him. He used to hear him rattling. He used to rattle because he had all these pills he used to have to take because he was his knees and all wrecked, you know, and his shoulders. He was I think he was in agony. Um, and he used to have these bag of pills that he used to take, you know, his anti inflammatories and all just to get him through games. And but brilliant big fella and you know, him and Dog and Ogres were thick as Steve's the three of them were always up to all sorts and um but yeah, great guy and it was it was Great opportunity for me to get to play with someone like that for a year. Yeah, absolutely. And the following year would mark a decade since the first Irish Cup win and went and done it again. The road, you know, a lot of people, as you mentioned earlier when we were chatting about, people thought it was a foregone conclusion against Balna Mallard. But a lot of people, and I've, I've mentioned this a few times, the road we took to that final, Colry and Glentor and Linfield, we had every right to be in that final, as did Balna Mallard. You know, they beat a couple of Premier League teams on the way to that final. And you got the line up as a captain against your former friend, Captain Richard Clark. Um, what was that? What was what was your sort of memories from winning that Irish Cup? Yeah, like you know, it's one of those ones 10 years on from winning. And it's funny, the Irish Cup, because I was young, I was 22, 23 when we won the Irish Cup in 2009 and then got in two finals, you know, in quick succession. And you think, oh, uh, you think you're going to be in it every year, yeah. you know, you think I'll probably win three, four, five of these, you know, I'm in them all the time. Um, and all of a sudden wasn't in another one again until 2019 and, you know, 10 years have passed since you last won one. So, yeah, it was a brilliant day. Like, you know, difficult in that there was so much so much expectation on us to win. You know, it was difficult because we, were, we weren't really in a win-win position because if we won, people say, oh, well, you should have won. And then if we had lost, then we'd never have heard the end of it, you know, so... It was really just about going out to win the trophy. You know, it wasn't we had to just go out and win that trophy. And at the time, our league form wasn't great, so we needed it for European qualification. Um, so it was it was huge, and we had that burden as well because we knew that the club not needed, but you know, European football was important to the club. Um, to keep you know obviously trying to move forward, and it was strange playing against Clargy as well. You know, um, I remember going up a couple of days before the final and doing a bit of a press conference. He was there and chatting to him, and you know he. I'm sure he was pinching himself because he, he probably didn't expect to be in an Irish Cup final game once he had left, you know, Crusaders and, and signed for Baltimore. He probably didn't expect it. And, you know, I think for him, it was, a you know, an opportunity and to play against his former team um, with his hometown team in an Irish Cup final was probably, you know, a huge moment for me. I'm sure he would have loved to have won. Um, but on the day, like we, we deserved it on the day. It was got an early goal and big Jordan Owens. Once we got that, we kind of settled into the game and it meant Baltimore probably had to come out and be a wee bit more adventurous and, we picked them off in the second half and 
and saw the game out comfortably enough. And partly from a spectacle point of view, as a game, it wasn't that exciting. But from our point of view, it was it was about winning another trophy, and and, I, and it was it was great to be able to do that. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. You know, another trophy job done effectively is all what it matters when it comes to a final. And, you know, we, you talked about earlier on about winning every medal that was available to you. You certainly done that in the Irish League and a couple of County Andrew Shields in there that we haven't really touched on. But when you look back, you know, at your time at Crusaders um, and all the trophies that you've won, you know, when you started out, could you imagine it going so well? Probably not. I mean, you know, it's funny, like, because people, like, even there before I left, people coming into the club, you know, like like Jamie McGonagall or the Heel Brothers and just people who come in the club, they didn't they didn't know what the club they didn't even know what Crusaders was in two thousand and two when I first started playing. You know, um some of those young lads probably were only like two or three at the time, you know. Um and that club the club of what it was back then compared to what it is now and how lucky they have it, you know, and that's all because of the efforts of people like David Rainey and you know, Chris Morrow, Stephen McBride, David McGowan, all those boys throughout those last 20 years to get the club from where it was. And then obviously the manager as well, you know, Stephen Baxter, to get it from where it was to where it is now. Um, but yeah, it's just a completely different place. And it's obviously for the better, but I think it's important that as a club that they, and the players or someone in the, within the club is able to make sure that they keep that identity of what they have is, you know, that, that the team with no boots, you know, the team that, you know the underdogs that nobody like to play against, and and make sure that that stays there. Yeah, yeah, I agree, hundred percent with you. I think Richard Clark said something sort of similar. It says, you know, when success comes, it's very easy to, you know, get carried away with it and sort of, you know, not remember where you came from. And I think that's very key for Crusaders, given what sort of happened with, with the relegation and the bankruptcy and saving the club and whatnot and everything that went on there. But when you left Crusaders, you signed for Glenavon, and from a fan point of view. We were all devastated because it felt like it came out of the blue. And we it sort of felt like, you know, certain players when they left the club, they almost got that big farewell, which the fans want to give. For you, that never really happened. Was that is that not when say a regret, but is that something that you wish could have happened? Yeah, I th- of course, yeah. You know, that's to be fair, to be honest, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. Like, mm. you know, it wasn't you know, I would have stayed. I was still been there now, you know. Yeah. Um, that's just the way it is. And but at the time there was no I, I'd been out injured for a couple of months and you know, I think Rodney Brown was in at the time doing quite well. And, you know, I don't know whether they've seen maybe he's like a long term, you know, option or whatever there, but um David Cushley, Reese McGinley had signed new contracts and I kinda of going without being disrespectful, like if Reese McGinley's getting a new contract, you know, he's not really in he's not really in the team. And I'm I haven't even nobody's even spoke to me, so um, it it was just one of those things that I kind of felt at the time that I needed to get a contract, and you know it was in a, in a way like two months after it happened, COVID all hit. Um, so in a way it was probably like if I'd have left it at the end of the season and there wasn't a contract there, it might have been more difficult to even get a club given how things had yeah panned out. So um, yeah, it was just one of those things. Didn't want didn't want to obviously go, and like I said, I would still be there if I had the opportunity, but. Um, it's just one of those things the way football goes, and it was disappointing not the not to have that final hurrah, that type of thing. But at the same time, it, I wouldn't I wouldn't hang around just for that. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like it was like that's not really the way I I am or would be. You know, it was it was the right thing at the time to do, and 
disappointing as it was, you know, so close to 600 games and, you know, I kind of felt like I still have something to offer, you know, from a playing point of view, you know, or right, maybe I wouldn't play every game. That's fair enough. But I think like, you know, the young lad, younger players coming through there, um, particularly defensively, or something I could offer them. And, you know, maybe if you're playing with them in a turn down the shield game or something, you know, early rounds or whatever yeah. it may be, helping them along, teaching them different bits and pieces. But um, that's the way it is. It just didn't work out like that. So we just had to move on. It's interesting because I heard, you know, recently you were on Grant Campbell's podcast and had to listen to that one. And you said about you wanted to keep playing for a number of years and coaching with something you were looking at down the line. What What's next for you? What do you see in your future in the next couple of years before you go down the coaching route? Yeah, so who, who knows? What's up? I actually start tomorrow, um, which is the end of June there. I'll be starting um, my BNA license. So I'm going on those AFA, UFA and like get my coaching qualifications all sorted. So I'll hopefully be done the next few weeks and, um, but yeah, I have another year in my contract at Glenavon. Don't know what's happening there. Um, but I have another year in my contract there, and you know, what happy of going back to pre season, get fit again. You know, after obviously being off there for a month or two, and get back to pre season, get fit, and try and get in the team and, and keep playing. And you know, but obviously, wait and see what comes along in terms of you know, next year or two, whatever it may be, and coaching opportunities that come along. And if it's something that I'd be interested in, then. You know, I would certainly jump at it. Like, if it's the right, if it's the right fit, mm-hmm. I think that that's the key, isn't it? The right fit, and I think that's all, all part and parcel. You know, of anyone's career, especially even when we look back at yours early doors. You know, it was the right fit, be it at Crusaders, because you got those opportunities in the first team. And we're going to move on to some of the questions that people submitted on Instagram now, and it, this tie, this one ties in nicely. And obviously. Ian Hoy submitted a question for me and he, he he wants to know if the opportunity ever came for you to return to Crusaders as some sort of player coach or even as a coach in a defensive for the defenders or defending point of view, would that be something that would interest you if everything all lined up the right way? Yeah, 100%. You know, that's, yeah, that's kind of how I've seen things go on, you know, even from a playing point of view, you know, like a like a gradual phase and as a player crusaders into that sort of some sort of coaching role um and for one reason or another it didn't it never worked out so um yeah 100 percent. you know that's crusaders my club you know that's yeah that's where I played for I was there from was 15 you know so i spent nearly probably spent more than half my life you know playing for the club so that's just the way it's just it's always been my club and you know if the opportunity came to, to go back i would i would i'd certainly be interested yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed it happens. I think we'd all love to see that as well. Um, as you said, it's your club. You're synonymous with the club as well. But Josh Bunting sent me another question. He wants to know who your toughest individual opponent is in your career. Is there anyone that sticks out? Yeah. Um, Glenn Ferguson was yeah. just... And Glenn Ferguson was top quality. And then also I played against him. He was, you know, banging him in for Linfield, scoring 40 goals a season. And I was still quite young. Yeah. You know, I was still quite a young player. Learn your game and he just expo- like exploited your weaknesses, you know, and he, he could do everything. You know, he was strong in the air. You know, he couldn't, you know, keep, keep her hitting the ball up, whatever up the pitch. You couldn't just go and get over him. You know, he was strong. He was good in the air. He held the ball up. Very, very creative, intelligent footballer and, and scored a bucket loads of goals. So, yeah, I didn't like playing against Glenn Ferguson. And he was, and he was tough as well because I remember he cracked me right in the side of the head once um, and I didn't know where I was for a while. Um, felt sick and all that sort of stuff, but played on, you know, that sort of way. Um, but he was tough as well. What a player he was. Still uh, still haven't forgiven him for the League Cup final that he came off oh, the bench. So talk to me. <laughs> yeah, so talk to me. I remember, um, who, was your, who was your, do you remember the big guy who scored? Seamus Brown. Remember, Seamus Brown scored for us. 
Um, this big guy with long hair from up, he was from up a dairy direction. He took his top off now and he's swinging it around his head. And we were going, we're going to win this league cup. And like you said, Spike came off the bench. He didn't start. He came off the bench and he scored his five hundredth yeah. and his five hundredth and first goal in that one game. In those ten minutes, devastated. Oh, never forgiven him. Never forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> um, for you as well. What about your favourite away ground? This came in from Jake Burr. What if you? Uh, what ground do you like travelling to? Oof, it's a tough one. Um, I like playing at Windsor. Yeah, I like you like going to Windsor because it's the nice changing rooms and all. And, you know, footballers are like now everybody like likes our like our comforts and you know I remember years ago going to like to away to Oma and you were getting changed yeah. in the Porta Cabin. It was horrendous and but so I like I like Windsor. Um, Balamina as well is quite a nice place to go. You know, nice facilities and normally a decent pitch. It's sort of well, it's hit and miss to be fair. Their pitch up there at times and um, but any pitch that's flat. I don't like I don't like a pitch. I don't like a pitch that's got bumps on it and got up goes up a hill. Taylor's like, Avenue. You don't like, like you don't like running up hills. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Second half. It's not hard enough. You know, you're having the at my age and you're having to run up a hill. Shamrock Park's the same. So yeah, I don't I'm not a fan of pitches that aren't flat. But anywhere that's flat, it'll be maybe oval. Avoid actually go back oval. I've all yeah. I've always had a great goal scoring record at the oval. I've always seen the score there, you know, even that's against the Glens or even the Satanda Cup final. I've always seen the score goals there. So I have some good memories of playing the oval. The Ovals was one of those famous, like, just love to be at it grounds, isn't it? It just feels like a really, like a throwback to a, a yeah, old yeah. football match or something in the Oval. I, I remember when I first started playing the Ovals pitch was, as a kid, like, the Ovals pitch was incredible. Mm. Like, that's, that was, it was a carpet, it was the best pitch in the league and one that everybody wanted to play on, but it's maybe not so good now, but I think there's plans to get a 3G and all in there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Same as Coleraine as well. Listen, I've got a, yeah. I've got a question here from Michael Doherty, and I don't know what it means, oh, no. so I'm, I'm hoping you do. Oh, um, no. I've had to get my phone just to read this out. So, back of the bus in Europe, eight mile karaoke, B Rabbit, explain. <laughs> yeah, I will. Um, well, no, Doc, he likes his hip hop music and all too. So, yeah. you know, he, uh, I think he told you on his podcast, he used to get the. Used to get the wee braids and all his yeah, hair, and then Alan Dornan was going to bother him. Um, but no, I I used to throw out a few wee rap raps at the back of the bus, um, just a few wee bars, just to keep the boys entertained on the way back from the games. I think I was maybe, I think he's talking about that game and uh, FK Lapija we played, or it was so we we stayed in Lithuania and had to travel over the border to go to Latvia to play them. So there was a bit of time on the bus on the way back. So I just uh, gave them a wee bit of a bit of a rap on the way back to keep them entertained. He's, he's synonymous with music, Michael, whether it's singing, whether it's somebody singing. He seems to always have something to say in terms of it's something to do with music. <laughs> uh, he, he loves he loves the singing. Sean O'Neill's the same. And Sean Ward, Sean Ward, if you're looking for someone to sing, Big Ward, he loves a sing song. Like <laughs> I believe we both went to Glenavon. They're obviously sort of at the same time. And the um, when you're a new player, you have to sing a song. Yeah. So there was me, Wardy, and then there was a few other lads like Michael O'Connor, Callum Burney. So me and Morty were buzzing. They were like, you've got to sing a song as if like me and, you know, it's supposed to be something to make you embarrassed. Yeah. So Gary Hamill said to me and Morty, right, you have to sing a song. Me and Morty are like, no problem. Can't, can't wait. Like we can't wait. We we want to go, we want to leave and go back so we can sing again. <laughs> we, we love it. And then you get boys like Michael O'Connor and Colin Burney who still haven't sang yet, ha- hiding away somewhere, scared to sing. Whereas me and Morty, we, we would do it every night of the week if we could. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. I have another one here and I think it's your friend, Richie Smith. He said, is it true you worked at a few dodgy bars back in the day? A few dodgy bars, aye. That's an, that's an old one. Um, yeah, so that's a mate of mine from university. 
a guy called Ratty Smith. He lives out in Toronto. So, yeah. but yeah, he he's a, a Balamina man. So quite often I would go when I'm playing up at Balamina, his dad would be there, give me a bit of jip. Um, when I was playing for the cruise or Glenavon or whatever it is, and he would come home a few times at Christmas and goes along to the game. But yeah, that's a wee joke from university. Um, where I we were talking, I can't remember what it was about, but said about working some bar and it was a, a girl in the class turned around and said, is that not very dodgy? As about the establishment that I worked in. So um, that's where that wee joke comes from. But yeah, he's a good, he's a good guy. Let him go. He's a Balamina fan, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, Neil Jenkins sent me a question. It says, what were your thoughts on becoming Crusaders captain and being given the armband? Complete, came out of the blue. I think I was only like 21 or 22. And I remember at the time, Darren Lockhart was at the club. Yeah. And he was the captain. He had come back, you know, for a second spiller and he was captain. And, Darren Lockhart was suspended or injured or and missed the game. And I got the captain's armband. The manager gave me and I was great. Loved it. Like, you know, just sort of jumped straight into it and just got on with it. And um, and then I remember the next game, Darren Lockhart was back and I was still captain. So I think he was a bit annoyed at the time and probably rightly so, to be fair, because um, I'd have been the same. But um, I think then he had a, him and the manager maybe had a chat at the time and then it, he had the armband back for a while and it was never an issue to me like you know at that age I was like 21, 22 I was like I wouldn't say anything but um, yeah and then he obviously moved on and then I was made captain and it was just it was just something that felt natural you know just and you know I never was I've never like been a shouter in the changing room I don't really actually you know people who are banging the walls and shouting and I just like I would be quite you know, relatively calm and as long as I know what the job is that I have to do and what the team's doing and that sort of thing and have a clear in my head what I have to do, then, you know, that's fine. I just go out and do it. You know, it was never a shouter. Just try to lead by performance, you know, in those big moments and big games, try to put in the big, you know, a big performance. And more times than not, I think it, I was able to do that. And um, yeah, and then because I suppose I'd been there so long in, in more recent years, um, people that came into the club kind of just sort of respected that a wee bit, if you know what I mean. And yeah, it was... Always playing the team as well, where there was more than one leader. You know, people like Paul Lehman, you know, yeah. Gary Smith, and you know, Sean O'Neill, Chris Morrow, Davy Rennie. Like the list just goes on and on. And you know, the captain's really just, just the, you know, you need more than one captain like in the squad. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conversation, you know. And I, I done a podcast maybe way back, you know, about different people's opinions on who a captain is and whatnot, and it's really cool to hear different people's opinions on what a captain should be. And a lot of people think it should be, you know, it's a loud, abrasive, you know, in your face person doesn't have to be, you know, yeah. you look at Steven Gerrard from, you know, his documentary he was very much, he just went out and done his thing and people yeah. followed the example type, you know, and I always think that's really cool as well. It's just a unique way. Just yeah, I actually, I actually think most of the best captains are like that. You know, you look even at Roy Keane, Roy Keane was quiet. Yeah. In the change room, you know, he's even, you know, things he's talked about, he was quiet in the change room. Now on the pitch, he was aggressive and in people's faces, which I would, you know, I would have been like that too, you know, for a fight starting the pitch, I'd be one of the first in there. I was probably the one starting it, like, but I'd been in one of the first in there. And But I think that most captains are like that. It's just how they kind of, you know, carry themselves more than anything. And it's more like a figurehead, but there's probably more other, like, Sean O'Neill would have been in the change room talking way more than me, yeah. you know, before the game. It was just not my style. It was just not something I do. But um, you know, on the pitch, it was just you were kind of. It was more like a figurehead of the t- of the club, like at the club. You know, somebody had been there the longest or yeah. that type of thing. And you know, I think at times maybe some people over over egg what how, the importance of it. And I think it is important to have 
one person doing it. I don't think it's good to keep chopping and changing. You don't have different people doing it every week. Yeah. But if you can get to the same person, but um, you definitely need more than one in a squad. Like, Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Um, you mentioned Sean O'Neill and a friend of mine, Alan McGuire, sent a question in and said at the time, and I obviously, I think he's tried the word this politely, goes, obviously it was a disappointing day for us, but at the time when Ogre's done the Cruyff turn and now you're looking back at it, what's your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I was a wee bit sheltered that whole season because I didn't play, you know, yeah. it's much harder for those guys who were at the cool face, like, you know, having to go out every week and put their bodies in line and, and the disappointment that, you know, I was trying to recover from, you know, an ankle operation and stuff. And but I remember being up that day and to be fair, Sean O'Neill, people talk about that Cruyff turn, we were already getting beat 1-0, yeah, I think, yeah. and it was late on in the game. And for me, that game was gone anyway, because I think a draw wouldn't have been any good either, mm-hmm. you know. And watching that game at the time, we were never going to score. It was just one of those days where it was a complete off day for everybody. And you know, he's done the cross turn. He actually done the cross turn all right. It was just what he was doing after. I don't know. He, he he held on the ball too long. I think it was Johnny McMurray closed him down. And listen, one of those things he was trying to he was trying to get us on the front boot by doing whatever it was. But that that was um. A small mistake in a game that was for me already gone. It felt Laurie said something similar when he was on that he felt even the league title wasn't lost with the Cruyff Turner Balamina. It was lost probably no. in, in the weeks leading up to that. And that was really just the combination of everything. Yeah, I think at the game at, at that time at Windsor when lost 1 0. Yeah. And I think Aaron Burns maybe scored. Um, those type of games are more, you know, that's you needed to go there at Windsor that day and get a draw. You know, we weren't able to do it. And there was a game, I think it poured it down as well. We drew one each maybe or could beat and we were poor that night too. Yeah. So there's so many, like, see, no matter what, when you win a league or lose a league or win a cup, you just go back and look. There's so many places you can point to and go, yeah. you know, that's how we won it or how we lost it. But yeah. listen, it's done over 38 games. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, Frank Long sent a question. He says, if you could relive or replay one game, what game would it be? If you could relive the moment. Ooh, there's in terms of like a one moment of a game when I scored at the last minute away to Balna Mallard. Yeah. Was incredible. And there wasn't even that many people there, but it was just mental because we were Linfield were pushing all the way. I think they had just won that night at Warren Point as well. And, and our game had sort of ran on a wee bit. Uh, and it was the last it was the last kick of the game. I managed yeah. to get on my head on something and it kept us five points. We played them, I think, then on the Saturday after it, um, the first game of the split or something, and it kept a five point gap. As opposed to if we had a drew that night, you know, we were only a three-point gap and then got into that game against Linfield. So that one moment was was unbelievable. Cause I remember everybody going mad, like when you watch the footage and all back of that, you know, Sean O'Neill comes running up the full length of the pitch and all the staff and all are going mad. And that was a that was a great moment. And then obviously the Cup final as a game was just yeah. brilliant. And uh, and the first night first night game I played for Northern Ireland away in Pisa against Italy was just unbelievable. Like but- Incredible. That's actually one of the questions. That's why I haven't brought up the Northern Ireland stuff is because Adrian sent me in a question. He talked about, he wants to know what cap, if you had to pick one, is your favourite and what did it mean for you to play for Northern Ireland? Yeah, so whew, thinking back, I enjoyed I enjoyed the, the first game away to Italy. Um, basically as well because I started the game and played yeah. the full 90 minutes and it was the first game and you're away to Italy and it was, you know, there was 20 odd thousand at the game and it was just unbelievable. Like, you know, the, the nerves, the build up of that one too. You're so nervous before that game because you've no idea. You know, we talked at the very start about levels of the game. You know, you're going into a whole, you're, you're maybe jumping from Irish League to international football against Italy. 
yeah. you're jumping every, you know, you're, you're jumping about eight levels, you yeah. know, in the game and, and you just don't know whether you're going to sink or swim. And, you know, I managed to have a, a relatively decent game that night and managed to keep my place in the squad. So, yeah, like unbelievable that night. And then I remember playing against Wales down in the Aviva. Um, again, started that game and played the full 90 minutes and Aaron Ramsey was playing and Craig Bellamy, Earnshaw, you know, yeah. just like household names like. And yeah, that was a good night too. But probably the one away to Italy would be the, would be the pick of them. Yeah, it's the standout whenever I think of, you know, the, the games that you play for Northern Ireland, it's the away to Italy one. I think always just jumps out, you know, I just think, like like you said, like going to Italy and playing away against one of the best teams on the planet, you know, at the time. Sort of yeah. Going right, okay. Um, a really interesting question here to, to wrap it up. This will be the last one for you. And I'm quite intrigued, actually, to hear your point of view on this. Dave McNall sent me a question. He says, ask him, if there's a manager that he only knows from an opposition point of view, has he ever thought, oh, he'd be a good manager to play under? Yeah, that's a, a good question. Um, suppose you look around the league now, you know, I know I know David Healy, you know, not overly well, but from a player and a few Northern Ireland squads with him. And yeah. he, he was always, he always kind of, I felt when I was away, looked after me. You know, he was always asking about football in the Irish League and he was always chatting to me and great fellow like really really good guy and a lot of time for for David Healy so he'd be someone who you know obviously and a successful manager too um, but then probably everybody talks about everybody who's played for Big Davy, everybody who's played for David Jeffrey is like you know uh, you just love him you know and me and him have had run-ins over the years you know like as opposition player and manager or whatever um, but he he certainly seems like someone who would certainly motivate you to get you to go out and, and give your all every week and um, but then you've Warren Kearney as well, so it's a yeah. tough one. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everybody again, everybody seems to love, and it's probably an it's probably a an element of Barry's League football. The minute there's so many good managers about, and so many yeah. good uh, teams, you know, like the teams now in the Irish League are incredible. And you know, Tieran Lynch to what he's done at Lauren, you know, to to bring in that style of football and say, "Right, I'm gonna play that in the Irish League," and you know. Forget about all the traditions of the way Irish League football normally goes. Go and do his thing is is incredible. Like so, uh, but to pick one out of all the I'll go with David Healy. Yeah, yeah, that personal relationship too, and obviously looking after an international level would, would be key. Um, yeah, but obviously you're getting ready for for preseason. You mentioned um, wish you all the best this season. Hopefully a return to see views on the cards in more ways than one. Hopefully in a permanent fashion somewhere down the line. I think it would be <laughs> somewhere that we would all something we'd all like to see, but. Colin, thank you so much for coming on today. It's, it's been my absolute pleasure to, to have you on the show. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Um, your, po- your podcast is great. I listen to it most weeks. Like So, yeah, it's super. Great to be on it. Thank you for listening to the conversation with Colin Coates. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Talking to one of the club legends that's been responsible for so many trophies and so many memories and moments over the years. Thanks, Colin, for coming on the show. Next week, Michael Ruddy, followed by Paul Heatley. Look out for those shows. Thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend.